So today we're wrapping up this I Am Second series. So we've been watching these videos and as you saw at the very beginning, it's based off of this viral series that happened back in December, 2008. This idea that people that we recognize, that we know, that we love, that we've grown up with, or maybe voices that we respect, people that maybe we didn't know felt this way, are talking about this idea of being second. Not being first, but being second. And this is such a counter idea to our culture. I think that's why it went viral. That's why all of a sudden it's showing up in our newsfeed. Um, it's showing up on Facebook and on YouTube. And even now, uh, nine years later, these videos come out on a regular basis and everybody shares them because of how different this thought process is. Because it is really hard in our society to find value in not being first. We strive to be good at what we do. We strive hard to be the best sometimes. And that's where we place our value. That's where we find worth as an individual, right? The things that I can do, the things that I'm good at, the things that people know me for, that's how I find worth as a person. I like being that guy that people come to and say, hey, look, I can't figure this out. Will you help me out with this? Or, hey, this computer's broken. Can you make it work again? Or in my jobs, it's always been, hey, if you need something done, go find Evan. Even if he doesn't know how to do it, he'll figure it out. It might not be right, but he will figure it out. And I've, I've striven to be that person because that's where I found value and I found worth. So our culture, it doesn't celebrate this concept of being second. And yet that's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been watching. That's what we've been listening to these people talk about on screen is this idea that second has value. And what does that value look like? So that's what we're gonna be looking at today. And as I was preparing this message, the name that came coming to me over and over and over again, the person that tends to really embody being second to me is a guy by the name of Paul. We talk about him all the time here at Epic. And the reason is um, the front half of your Bible back half, oh, the New Testament, this part back here, he wrote about half of that. We have 27 books or letters in the New Testament, and Paul wrote 13 of those. So Paul is extremely influential in what we have in our Bible. He was influential in creating language and putting core values together and what it meant to be a Jesus follower, what it means today to be a Jesus follower. He's a brilliant guy. He's also one of the main reasons why most of us have had the opportunity to hear the story of Jesus. Up until the, uh, a movement that Paul helped lead, the story stayed inside of the Jewish communities because Jesus was a Jew and his followers were Jews and they went out to their communities to tell what had happened and nobody else was branching outside of those communities, at least not very many people. And Paul headed up this whole movement to take that story outside of the Jewish communities into the rest of the world because he said, everybody deserves to hear this story. They need this opportunity. So Paul embodies for me what it means to be second, but he wasn't always that way. See, Paul started out being first. Paul was really set up early in life. And he worked hard in order to be the best at what he was. So he was born a Roman citizen, which gave him an immense amount of freedom, born into a family with Jewish ties back into, very strong Jewish ties into the, the tribe of Benjamin. And so while that might not mean a whole lot to us, what it meant for him is that he had freedom to go just about anywhere he wanted to. He wasn't beholden to anybody as a Roman citizen, but as a strong tie into the Jewish families and the Jewish communities, he had a voice there and authority there and a leg up inside of his communities where he grew up. He was amazingly brilliant. 
As you read his writings in the New Testament, you'll see that. But he was a really smart guy. And he had a great education under a guy named Gamaliel, which again, doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But this was a Pharisee at the time who was world world, their area renowned. (laughs) That was the known world at the time. And so everybody knew Gamaliel. Everybody wanted to be his student because of how smart and how well-connected he was. And Paul was one of his best students. And at a very young age, Paul becomes a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, kind of the people who run the show in the Jewish communities. Now, Paul was born most likely a few years after Jesus, so he was just a little bit younger in Jesus. And so when the Jesus movement comes onto the scene after Jesus is put to death, comes back to life, goes back to heaven, and his followers begin telling the story, the Pharisees are all shook up because their entire lives are being messed with. Not just their livelihood, but think about it, their entire culture is being shaken up by these stories. What it means to be a Jew, a follower of the God that they serve in their minds is being rocked at its core by what Jesus did and by what his followers are saying. So the Pharisees say, look, we had to put a stop to this. And Paul was their guy. And he had been first so often, and they saw so much value in what he, stri- what he strove to be that they said, you're going to head up this group that goes out and investigates and prosecutes these leaders of the Jewish movement to try and put an end to it. And Paul became very, very good at what he did. And Paul chased these guys all over the place, actually helped put the first Christian martyr that we have record of to death. He was there in that moment. Paul was first, and he was good at those things that he wanted to be good at, and people recognized that in his life. And then Paul has this divine intervention from God. And if you know Paul's story, this is the part most of us know. He's on the road, traveling with some people, headed out to persecute some more Christians, and God stops him in his tracks, middle of the road, blinds him, says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? When you persecute the church, you persecute me and turns Paul's life around like that. His entire life changes in an instant because of this moment with God. And he has this choice at this point. And this is the part that boggles my mind with Paul because Paul really could have said, you're right. I'm doing the wrong thing. I need to stop and just fade it into the background. He could have stopped the persecution. He could have quit what he was doing. He could have gone off and had a life somewhere, probably being very successful in whatever he did. But Paul chose to be second. Paul chose to put God first in front of his comfort, in front of his interests, in front of his safety, and chose to be second, and to do what God wanted him to do. And we see this most clearly in the way Paul begins to identify himself in his letters. So he wrote all these letters that we have in the New Testament, and we're going to put up an example of one of them. But this is in several of the letters as he identifies himself, as he welcomes the reader. In Romans 1.1, it says it this way. Now, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, we don't like that word, and rightly so. Slavery is an abhorrent practice that we still deal with to this day. And in Paul's day, slavery was just as terrible as it is for us. And yet, Paul self-identifies as a slave. 
identifies himself as a slave to Jesus. And he does this so that people can see this is who I'm putting first. Because in calling himself a slave and identifying this way, he says some very clear things to his audience. He says, look, I'm not my own person anymore. I was bought and paid for. And my master now owns me. And so I don't have any will of my own. Everything that I do is for my master, for God, for this Jesus that I serve. Everything that I had, all of my belongings, no longer mine, a slave doesn't own anything. That all now belongs to God. And all I can do is use it to serve him. All of my interests, all of the things that I used to be good at, those things that I wanted to be, the education that I had, the stuff that I knew about Jewish law, the connections that I made in the Gentile community, in the Roman community, all of that, no longer my own, no longer for my own benefit, no longer for my own gain, but all for my master, for Jesus. All of this because he chose to put himself second. Now, if Paul had stopped there, we might be able to get behind it, right? I think as a, as a Jesus follower, I think we can be, get behind the idea of being second to God because he's God. And it makes a lot of sense to kind of go with what he has to say because he probably knows at least a little bit more than I do when it comes to what's going on in my life. And so I can get behind that idea, but Paul doesn't stop there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about what this slavery to Jesus means, what it looks like in his life. He says, even though I am a free man, so I'm a Roman citizen, I'm not beholden to anybody, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. So Paul says, look, this slavery concept doesn't end with God. It extends a whole lot further than that. When he chooses to be second, his first isn't just God. His first is all of those people God is trying to get a hold of as well. Now, growing up in Bible school all the time, we learned cute little phrases and songs to, to memorize this stuff as kids. And I learned this acronym, acronym JOY, J-O-Y, in order to learn this concept. And it stands for this. You put Jesus first, you put others second, you put yourself at the end of the line and you will find the joy in your life in J-O-Y. And now you'll remember that. I'm not gonna sing the tune because I respect myself too much for that. <laughs> but this is how I learned it as a kid. Paul embodied this concept. He said, look, when you put Jesus first, you're not just putting Jesus first. It's Jesus. And then it's this whole group of people that he is interested in because when we choose to be slaves to Jesus, we're choosing to be interested in what and who he is interested in. And that's everybody else. So it's Jesus and then a whole list of other people and then finally Paul. And Paul takes this idea to heart and all of that stuff that Paul used to find value in and that other people found value in him for all of those things that he worked hard at, those things, his education and his background and his citizenship and all of those things, Paul then begins to say, if I put Jesus first, 
then I can use that for others, not to bring worth to myself, but to bring worth to them. He goes on in that passage to say, look, to Jews, I will be like a Jew and I will talk about the Jewish law and I will follow the Jewish orders. And to Gentiles, I will talk to the Gentiles and I will be a Gentile and I don't have to follow all those same rules because I'm trying to speak specifically to them. I will do anything I can to reach them. And he says in verse 22, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can just to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. See, Paul said, look, all of that stuff that I used to be good at, that I found worth in, that my value was tied up in, I'm now giving that to God and I'm using all of that to reach those others, the O in joy, in order to try and impact them in some way. So he uses his freedom as a Roman citizen to get to travel to places not a lot of people could get into, to talk to audiences who wouldn't normally be able to listen to him. He uses his background and his family ties as a Jew and as a Pharisee to speak with authority into the lives of Jews in a way that others couldn't. He could help them see that all of those laws and regulations and all of their culture as a Jew pointed them to Jesus. And he had a way of doing that because of what he had worked so hard to be, but now he was giving that value up. It was no longer in him, but in God and in those he was looking to reach his education, the fact that he could speak and write in at least three languages that we know of, probably more, the fact that he had ties and connections into the culture meant that he could go to magistrates and philosophers and teachers and tradespeople. It didn't matter who they were. He could speak to them with equal ease and with equal authority, all because he was choosing to give all of this back to God. See, Paul used what God had blessed him with that could have brought him temporary value on earth and chose to give that value, eternal value to others. I absolutely love that quote from Jason's mom, that God doesn't do anything in our lives by accident. See, those things that God blesses us with, those things we have a passion for, those things that we tend to try and find our value in are there for a reason. He referenced um, Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says, for you were created, or you created, this is talking to God, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, the author says, God, you knew me before I was a thought in anybody's mind. You created me a specific way for a specific reason. You gave me passions and talents and abilities, and they're there for a purpose. And like Jason said, more often than not, we wrap up our value in that. But our value is not determined by some unique or innate quality inside of us. Our value is in what God was willing to pay for us. God willing to give his son, pay our debt, take care of the whole thing. That's where our value resides. And he paid the same price for every single person. And he gave all of us 
personhood. My friend Scott, talking about the way that we wrap ourselves up in what we do, he says it this way. He says, look, when our value or our worth is connected to the things that we can do, enough is never enough. We keep pushing. We keep trying to get better at what we are. We keep trying to find that elusive value. And so we go and we look for more accolades. We look for that next promotion. We look for that, that next spot, that next place on a team. We look for the next paycheck raise and everything is about that. But our value isn't in what we can do. It is in what God does in us. And being second is about taking all of that stuff that God gave us and blessed us with, those passions that he gave us and using them for others so that he can reach into their lives. That's where our true value comes from. That's the value in being second. That's the whole secret. It's about using all of that stuff that we love for God because it was his anyway. In being his slave, we're saying this all belongs to you. It's not mine. And so to choose to be second means to put God first in every aspect of our lives. And I want to wrap this series up today with some practical ways that we can do that. Because it's easy to look at this. Easy is not the right term. But it's easy to look at this in this broad aspect of giving ourselves to God. Right? Because there's a lot of freedom in this idea that if I'm no longer striving to be whatever I'm going to be, then I can give it up to God and I can trust in what he has for me. There is a lot of freedom in that. But God says, look, I gave you all this for a reason. I still want you to use it. So choosing to be second isn't just sitting back and letting the world pass us by as Paul shows us. That choice he could have made. I'll just let it all happen. I'll get out of the way. Paul chooses to step right back into it. And when we choose to be second, we choose to take action in our lives and show who is first. So I want to share with you just a couple of places in my life. I am working hard to be second and it's not always easy. The first is as a husband. I believe that I am called to be second in every aspect of my life and put God first. That means putting God first in my marriage. Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 says, husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So do we know what that means, husbands? God gave up his son. Jesus came and died for his church, sacrificed everything for his church. Now we focus a lot on that part of the sacrifice and that is the, the sacrifice, the death, the burial and the resurrection. But I wanna take it a little bit further. See, Paul writes in another letter in Philippians chapter two about exactly all that Jesus gave up to make this sacrifice. See, remember, Jesus is God up in heaven, on a throne in perfect paradise, in a perfect community with God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit existing up there and chooses to give all of that up and to become second himself. This is huge. Jesus becomes second, comes down to earth to be a human, to live in our squalor, our filth, our dirt, our sin, so that he could die for us. And that's the picture, Paul says, husbands, that's what you do for your wives. 
And so one of the ways that I'm constantly asking God, how can I put you first in my, is in my marriage. What does that look like for me? It means doing my best to learn God's will for my family so that I can lead my family well. It means sacrificing my wants for my wife's needs. It means being willing to give some of that stuff up in order for her to benefit. Husbands, it's a high calling, but it's totally worth it. So we're called to put God first in everything. And so that's one of the places I am working hard in my life is to put God first in my marriage. Another place that I am not quite as successful in is putting God first as a parent. (laughs) I have this picture had, past tense, a picture of what parenthood was going to be. And God has an amazing sense of humor and said, you are so off base. (laughs) And so part of my putting God first as a parent is in giving up my preconceived ideas of what it meant to raise a kid or multiple kids now to give up my wants as a father, the thoughts that I had, the way I knew things were going to be and to shift my focus to what God says is godly parenting. Ephesians chapter six, verse four, fathers or some translations say parents, so this can apply to all of us. Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, but rather bring them up with the discipline and restriction that comes from the Lord. So we are supposed to love our kids, love them like crazy. We're supposed to be there for our kids. We're supposed to give our kids practical ways to live out godly and biblical principles. We're supposed to instruct them. We are supposed to help them learn what it looks like to be a Jesus follower by being Jesus followers ourselves. And so I am constantly asking for God's help in this, that he would help me put him first when it comes to being a parent, that I can give up what I think to be a parenting and go with what he thinks. And this means, just like before, sacrificing some stuff. Sometimes when I would much rather be binge watching some Netflix show, I need to instead pull out a book or listen to a podcast or watch a video series or talk to other parents who have done it well and have said, look, we survived. You can do this. You're going to be okay. But let me tell you what worked for us. And then just talk to God and say, God, help me figure this out step by step by step. So parenthood is another place I'm looking to put God first in my life. Guys, this invades every aspect of our lives as friends, as neighbors, as employers, as employees, as siblings, as sons and daughters, every aspect of our lives. Because choosing to be second is a lifestyle. It's not some pretty little phrase. It's not something we can compartmentalize. I'm going to do it here, but maybe not here. I'm not really comfortable with it over here. Choosing to be second is a choice in life that God, I will put you first in everything. And that's where I will find my value. So, you know, I don't like to leave here without giving you a fun challenge. So what's the area of your life where you need to ask God for help being second as a parent, as an employee, 
as a friend to somebody, as a spouse? Where do you need to choose to put God first? Because guys, here's the thing. If we can make this choice and we can live it out, this is how we impact our world. This is what spreads like wildfire. This is what makes us different. It's because it's not about us. It's about God. And if we can choose to put God first in our lives, then we can make a difference in the lives of our friends and our families and our coworkers. We can choose to use those things that God has given us to impact them. Because I get it, sitting in your seats, looking up here, say, look, you have a platform to use your stuff. I have a physical platform here, but my audience is very limited. And you have talents, you have abilities, you have different reach than I do or Trent does or Tim does. You have a different audience to speak into when you choose to put God first and use all of that stuff that used to give us value to bring value to others. So that's my challenge this morning is spend some time this week. Ask God, where am I struggling? Where do I want to be first? Where am I not willing to give up? And ask him for some help and listen. Let's pray. God, this has been a challenging series personally. This idea of being second isn't popular and it's not easy. It's certainly not what the people around us would would want us to do sometimes because they want us to just keep going, keep pushing because that's what our culture does. But God, I pray this morning that you would work deep in our hearts. God, that you would give us a want to be second, a passion to be second, a passion to choose to live for you, to quit finding our value and our worth in who we are in the things that we do and instead find our value in you and in what you do in our lives. And God, let us just work and live in the excess of that. God, I pray that you would guide us in this and that because of these choices, that we would reach Flagler County in a very unique way, that you would open up doors like we couldn't imagine that you would create conversations, divine moments where we can impact others and give us courage to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. I really enjoyed spending some time with you today. Come back next week as we start our new series. We'll see you all next Sunday.